Okay, so who wants to sum up last week? Romans 1, I mean 8, 1 through 11. I mean, it ain't got to be no huge summer, just, hey, Bruce. Let me just do it, because a lot of y'all weren't here. Some of y'all are shy. Okay, so we've been talking through Romans. Let's just go through the whole thing, take five minutes. So far, Romans has taught us that there is no one good. Not you, not your mom, not your grandma, not your kids. Everybody's evil to the core. And without Christ, we would all have no hope whatsoever. But Christ has come, and even though we are evil in our hearts and in our flesh, Christ has given us His righteousness. And so when the Father looks at us, He sees nothing but Christ's righteousness if we're saved. And then in chapter 6, we talk talked about that's not a that's not a you know uh that's not a license to go do whatever you want to do. If your heart's not changed, you're probably probably not saved. So we don't sin just because we're free to do so. Then chapter 7, we showed us that there's a battle going on between flesh and spirit all the time. So it's not like, well, now I'm perfect and I don't have to worry about it. Now what's going on is my flesh is warring against my spirit all the time. And in chapter 8, the first part of chapter 8, we saw that there is now no condemnation for those of us who are saved. If you're saved and in Christ Jesus, there will never be a time where God will punish you for your sins. Think about that. There will never be a time for all eternity that God will punish you for your sins. He punished Christ for your sins. Now, when you do something stupid and sin, He will discipline you like a loving Father will. But as Pam said last week, it won't be out of justice. It'll be out of love. You know, when you discipline your child, it's not just to balance the scales of your punishment justice. You know, it's because you want them to do right and you want them to learn from their mistakes and do better next time. And, you know, you want them to grow. So... It's, uh, that's how God will deal with us. We are his children now, not, you know, not uh, his enemies. Okay? So, so far, Romans has showed us that we were his enemies. Whether you think you were or not, you can go back and listen to those other recordings and when we went through Romans. You were his enemy. Christ saved you for no reason other than because he loves you. And because of that salvation, now you and God have relationship with each other and are no longer enemies. But he looks at you and sees perfection. Okay? Any questions before we move on? This this part, there goes Dana right there. Hey, when she comes in, look, when y'all hear that door, let's everybody just turn and look that way. Okay? Come on, y'all can help me out. Do that, do that one thing for me. We're just all going to turn and look. She just parked, so it'll be a minute. Uh, that'd be awesome. Won't that be awesome, Jessica? Yeah, that'd be great. Okay. So, huh? Oh, yeah. No, it's all good. She can, she can sleep on her plan. Uh, let me read the last part of what we did last week, just so, because this begins with therefore, so we probably need to get that in there. Romans 8. Uh, 
the last verse is, if the spirit of him, talking about God, that raised up Jesus from the dead, spirit in you that raised Jesus from the dead, if it dwells in you, he that raises Christ from the dead shall also quicken or give life to your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. It says, so if his spirit dwells... Okay, that did work good, though. That did work good. I know. All right, so if his spirit dwells in you, he will raise your dying body. Okay? So, look at this. Now we start. Therefore, since his spirit dwells in you, and since he'll raise your dying body, brethren, we are not debtors. We we are debtors not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. If you got your Bible, you can look at it too. Make sure I didn't make any mistakes or anything. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. Because his spirit resides in you, because you are a new creature, you are no longer the slave to your flesh, to your desires, to your wants, to your needs. We talked about chapter 7. We talked about how the flesh will say, you want that. You know, if it looked good to me the day before I was saved, the day after I was saved, it still looks good to me. You see what I'm saying? But now there's something in me that says, no, it's not good. I don't want that. I don't want that. But my flesh is still saying, oh, I do want that. You do want that. And you do need that. Or whatever it is, you know, whether it be greed, pride, envy, lust. I mean, it, you go. The, we all have our things. It says, so you are not debtors to the flesh to live after the flesh. But here's the thing. We still, the flesh still makes us feel like we're debtors, doesn't it? But you don't owe. You don't owe the flesh anything. There was, uh, there's like a, this is probably not a great way to put it, but a separation between who you are, who you are, and like a doctor can't cut you open and find who you are, you know, your personality, your desires, your, there's a separation between who you are and what your flesh desires, you know, whether it be, you know, to be to be lifted up, to be prideful, to be praised, you know, or you got the whole lust thing going on, or to to you know anger, jealousy, so, you know, all those things. There's a separation between who you are and all those things because now in Christ, because Christ has saved you, you know those things are wrong, and you want to. To kill those things. You want those things gone, but it seems like it's a constant struggle all the time because those things keep trying to come back and you know you maybe slip and fall and mess up into something, but then again you start over again. You see, before you were saved, before that spirit was in you, it didn't matter. You know, you just lust all day long, didn't care. You were prideful all day long, didn't care. You know, no probably nobody was robbing banks and killing anybody, you know, because we have a conscience. But the things that go on in our mind and our heart that were sinful, we didn't really even give them much thought. We just went right on ahead. That's living after the flesh. That's walking after the flesh. So it says, therefore, brethren, it's talking to all the people who are saved. Anyone who is a Christian, you are not a debtor to the flesh. What does it mean to be a debtor to the flesh? And the answer is in the verse. So I'm not just asking you to come up with something. 
to live after the flesh. To walk, it's like a continual pattern of life. Walking after your flesh. Can you take a snapshot of me and doing something stupid and it'll be like click and show the snapshot and it's like look Jason's not a Christian blah 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 you know whatever yeah you probably could find a moment in my life where you take a snapshot and bang it looks like well that's pretty fleshly right there that you're messing up but the whole movie of my life will be a continual killing of the flesh and moving toward the spirit not because I'm so awesome but because the spirit of God is in me working any questions Y'all understand? What? What's he wooing about? Don't make no noise if you don't make call you out there, Scott. So, living after the flesh is not a, whoops, I made a mistake. It's a constant walking through life going after the flesh. The flesh, you know, the things of the flesh are greed, pride, malice, you know, all those things. It's a constant daily exercise going after the flesh. It says, why, why do you think, let me just say, it says, therefore, brethren, we are dead is not to the flesh to live after the flesh. And that four is important. It says, because, because you are not debtors to the flesh. He's freed you from the flesh, so you don't walk after the flesh. Why has he freed you? Why not just save me and yay, I got my ticket punched, I'm on my way to heaven and it's all good. Why, why do I have to battle the flesh now? Why do I have to walk in a different direction? Why am I a new creature? It says, because for if you live after the flesh, you shall die. And what that means, I could give you the Greek lesson if you want it, but skipping that, it means death is coming. It's like you are you are on your way toward death. You are about to die. But if through the Spirit you do mortify, what does that mean? Kill. Yeah. If you do mortify the deeds of the body, talking about the things of the flesh, you shall live. Okay? So let's take that apart and look at it first. Die. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. What kind of death is he talking about, you think? Yeah, he's talking about Yeah, he's talking about eternal death. He's talking about going to hell. He's talking about being lost. Now I over the course of the week I, I kind of got it all together myself and prayed through it. And then, you know, once I had what I thought what I was gonna do, I started reading other people just to see, you know, if I was way off base or whatever. And a lot of people were saying that this wasn't eternal death, it was just death, death. You know, like dying. Like when I get 80, I'm gonna die. You know what I mean? But I can't I, it doesn't make sense to me for that to be the case because it's opposed to live. Like so it's so it's saying if you live after the flesh you'll die, like die. But then it says if you through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. Does that mean that if I do good I won't die? You see what I mean? It's got to be it's got to be this spiritual death, this eternal death. But then again, now we have another problem. No, what's the other problem? Like yeah, doesn't it sound like, well, now you got to work to be saved? Doesn't it, doesn't it make it sound like that? So uh, how, how, does this, how does this work? How, how can we say, for if you live after the flesh, you shall die, but if through the Spirit you do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live, when Paul has already taught us that if you're saved, there's no condemnation, and you can't lose your salvation, and you can't, you can't forfeit your salvation. So how do we see this verse? It says, we are dead not to the flesh it's freed us from that why has it freed us from that 
Because if you live after the flesh, you shall die. Notice the change in from we, it says we, to you. To you. He's given us the principle. The reason, he's cha- the reason the Spirit changes us from... Pulls us out from under slavery to the flesh so we don't walk after the flesh anymore is because anyone who walks after the flesh is on their way to death. And anyone who through the Spirit, with the Spirit in them, by the Spirit, kills the deeds of the body is on their way to life. Okay? Y'all with me? No? Bruce, you ain't with me. All right, let me try it again. Huh? Yes, yeah, it is. Just another way to put it. But so what he's saying is, there's a principle at work here. If the Spirit lives in you, you will be mortifying the deeds of the body. If the Spirit does not live in you, you will be walking after the flesh. You can't. You can't help it. It's like he's, he's talking to you, but he's saying like, if, if I was to stand up here and say, now, listen, you guys, you know, if you touch a hot iron, you will burn your hand. That's a principle. You know, it's not like, you know, that's what he's saying. He said, listen, we are not debtors anymore because if anyone lives after the flesh, then he's on his way to death. But if anyone through the spirit kills the deeds of the body, you shall live. And here's where this is the other part why I think that my that this is correct says if you kill the deeds of the body through the spirit, you'll live because again for as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Is there any son of God that's not led by the spirit of God? Can you be a son of God without being led by the Spirit of God? What does led by the Spirit of God mean in this sentence? Yes, but in the text right here, what are you led to do? Mortify the deeds of the body. You see how it works? So it's the Spirit that leads you to mortify the deeds of the body. And if you don't have the Spirit leading you, not a son of God. See with me? Got it? So, that's a little complex, but just let's talk through it. I mean, if we don't understand, if you got questions, now's the time. Don't walk out of here going, oh, I didn't understand. Let, we'll do it. I'll do it for four weeks if we have to. I want you to understand. So, what he's saying here, what he's saying here is that the evidence that you've been born again is that the Spirit lives in you and leads you to daily kill the flesh. That you are daily walking in holiness. You're you're daily learning how to, you know, you're getting better and better at killing the deeds of the body. Okay? Y'all with me? Everybody understand? So it says, it says, through the Spirit, if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But through, if through the Spirit you do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. Now, this is a different picture of the Christian life than, than most time people have. You know, the picture, when you talk about being the Christian life and life in Christ and, and living through the Spirit, what it looks like, it, sometimes it's pictured like, you know, you're lying on the beach, you know, and I got somebody feeding me grapes and there's a cool breeze and everything's wonderful and it's, you know, it's just peace and happiness all the time. And the, the reality is Paul's picture of the Christian life is one of battle. Yeah, it's a battle. It's a, it's a war. You have, from the day that you were, the 
the day before you were saved and all that time, you weren't in a fight. You were just walking right along with the flesh and just doing what the flesh wanted you to do. And you, you really didn't even realize you were doing it. That's just the way life is. You know, you were just going right along. The day you got saved, He removed you from that flesh. And from that day on, you became a soldier in God's army. And what you're trying to kill is you. <laughs> Does that make sense? Okay. That you are, your, your enemy, as you wake up in the morning, is not so much, oh, let me go, let me go, let me go kill the devil. It's, let me kill my own flesh. I look in the mirror and that's my problem. See what I mean? I want what's best for me. I want what makes me happy. I want what I desire. I want, you know... It's all about me. You remember Romans 7 when he was doing, it was I, 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 I do this and I want to do that and I want it, I want it, I want it my way. The problem that we have more than anything else is that we are to battle ourselves, our own flesh, our own desires, our own sinful nature, however you want to put it. But that is the mark. That's the mark of somebody who's been born again. Okay? So, all these folks, and I got them all around me too, so I know you do too. All these folks that, that run loose talking about I'm a Christian and there ain't no battle against the flesh. They just walk right after the flesh. Don't care nothing about the flesh. Don't I mean, don't care nothing about pleasing God, serving God, loving God, doing anything. You know, um, turning their life to, to try to uh, stop walking after the flesh and start killing those things by the Spirit of God. Those people that do that, I, I mean, I, I can't say you saved and you not saved, but I can say that the Bible says that everybody who is led by the Spirit to mortify the deeds of the body is a son of God. And the people who are not, that are walking in the flesh, it says we do not, remember last week it's talking about we don't walk in the flesh anymore, but we walk in the Spirit. Those who walk in the flesh and not the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit means that daily you are, it doesn't mean that, oh, I'm perfect. It doesn't mean that like I'm just, you know, I'm out there somewhere walking in the Spirit, some kind of, you know, some kind of deal like that. What it means is that daily you are doing battle with your flesh. Paul puts two different pictures, flesh and spirit, sin and evil and godly and holiness, flesh and spirit, and they're warring against each other. You're walking in the flesh means that you're walking after all those things that you want. Doesn't have to be just murder and all those things. It could be something as simple as pride and, and lust and malice and that big long list that's in 1 Corinthians 6. Walking in the Spirit means that God has shown me His law. He's shown me what He desires of me. He's shown me by His Spirit that now dwells in me and I have new desires that I want to follow His law. I want to do the things that He wants me to do. I want to keep His commandments. And I, that is when we walk in that pattern, we're walking after the Spirit because it's the Spirit that revealed that to you. Okay? You ever, you remember when, before you were saved, it was like, I mean, you knew murder and it was wrong and all that kind of stuff, but a lot of stuff went on in your life that you was just like, whatever, you know, this is life. Everybody's doing it. This is how we roll, you know. And then after you got saved, it was like, whoa. 
I, I can't I can't do that anymore. You know what I mean? That's the Spirit showed you that. The it, that that change of heart doesn't come about by your decision or by your just you know I think I'm gonna do better today. That comes about when God changes your heart and the Spirit indwells you and it shows you. Pow! Look at all this. This is wrong in your life. This is evil in your life. This is and you start thinking, man, I'm a horrible person. And you start walking away from those things. You're walking in what the Spirit has shown your heart. Change desires, change wants. Y'all are real quiet. Everything okay? Y'all with me? Okay? Okay. So, we're not talking about perfection. We're talking about the direction that we walk. See what I mean? Because if God, pow, made me perfect right now... I wouldn't really need to walk in the spirit because there's no battle going on. You see what I mean? There's, there's, I wouldn't, I wouldn't need to be led by the spirit. I wouldn't need to follow the spirit because, hey, I'm not sinning no more. I'm perfect. So it's not like I'm never going to mess up again. That's not what he's saying. He's saying the way that you walk is led by this new spirit inside of you that desires godly things, that desires what he wants. I, I, I struggled with that for a long time about what it meant to be led by the Spirit, you know, I mean, does that mean I'm supposed to be listening to, you know, to a voice that, uh, you know, and I don't, and, and there is a sense where, you know, God, you'd be sitting on a bus or something or sitting in a restaurant and God will just say, hey, you need to witness to that guy, you know, I mean, that happens. So I'm not saying that God won't lead you in other ways, but what Paul is specifically talking about right here is that the Spirit, those that are led by the Spirit to follow after these new desires and these new godly impulses that they have, those are the sons of God. And the ones who are just walking in the flesh and living after the flesh and don't follow, you know, just doing what they want to do, they're not the sons of God. They're on their way to death. They're on their way to death. Okay? That is the evidence that you are a son of God. That you are walking in a new way. Okay? Not perfection, but direction. Y'all with me? Okay, let me get some coffee. That took a whole less, lot less time than I thought. Any questions or comments? Really? It's a bunch of y'all in here and you ain't got nothing to say? Okay. So, these next verses, 15 through 17, are going to show us the benefits of what it means to be a son of God. Okay, this is the evidence that you're a son of God. This is the benefits of a son of God. Okay? Don't yawn so big. It makes me think it's, I'm boring no, or something. I have 15 yeah, I know, I know, I know. Y'all was up late. <clears throat> as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Four, here's another four. I, this, it's got to mean something. These 13, 14, and 15 all start with four. So it's like he's building his argument. Because, 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 because. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. Okay? When you were again to fear. Well, when you were in when you were in the flesh before you're saved, um, the flesh was your master. Sin remember remember Romans six said that you were slave to sin. And sin was your taskmaster. When it cracked the whip, you went. I mean it was as simple as that. You had no choice. You had, yeah, I say you had no choice, but you didn't even realize you were under its grip. You were just walking along thinking everything was fine when the reality was, you know, you were, you were under its grip and you followed it when it grabbed you and said, you're coming with me, you went. 
You know, it was a master, a slave master. The picture he's painting here is of sin and flesh, uh, like standing over you, cracking the whip, you know, just keeping you under hard service. Um, but that's not the way. What you? That's not the way that the Holy Spirit. That's not the way that you're related to the Holy Spirit now. It says you haven't received that same kind of bondage where you're afraid of your taskmaster. Oh, I'm scared. I'm scared that, you know, he, he's going to, I got to do this. I can't, I can't live without this. You know, that fearful, you know, I got to have whatever this is that it's, the flesh is trying to say that I need. It says, but you have received the spirit of adoption. You don't have the spirit of bondage. You're not under bondage anymore. You're adopted into the family and whereby whereby it's by the spirit that we cry Abba Father and I'll get to Abba in a minute we definitely talk about that but what it's saying is you didn't just get out of the slave to the flesh line and get transferred over into the slave to God line so I just changed one master for another master and God is now over you you know standing with a whip cracking it going do this boy do that boy you know where it's like oh I gotta I gotta do right and a lot of people live their Christian lives in fear because they're afraid that I'm not gonna please God and I'm God's unhappy with me now and if if I don't, if I don't just toe the line and I don't keep my this level of, of goodness up, God's going to be unhappy with me. And, I, and they just live in bondage to fear all the time, like God's going to throw them out the family or something. But the reality is that that was what your old master was like. That's not what your new master. Your new master is a father, and you've been adopted into his family. That word adoption is sonship. You have you have been brought into the family where God is not your taskmaster. He's not your slave driver. He's not the one cracking a whip over your head. He's a loving father that has brought you into his family. Uh, the picture I get, I read this book one time about, is really, it's a really good book, but basically the premise was the best leaders of men, the best, you know, down through history were just big buttholes. You know, just, just, you wouldn't want to be around them, you know? You know what I mean? Like, and though that that kind of personality made made them, you know, good leaders. You know, and so one of the one of the one of the most famous examples is is Steve Jobs. You ever heard of him? You know, Steve Jobs. He's a guy who he's dead now, but he started Apple and Mac and all that. If you have an eye, anything, he his company invented it. You know, iPod, iPhone, whatever. You know, and he was just notoriously just the big the world, you know, like he, there's stories of, you know, him just cussing out employees for the littlest thing and, and people being afraid to come and talk to him because he was just so, I mean, just such a, just such a, you know, to all these people and just had the personality of a, I don't know, a, a, a rock badger or something, you know what I mean? It was just like, it was just like. I can imagine people walking into the office going, oh, I can't believe I got to have a meeting with this guy and he's going he's gonna to be such a and he's going to, you know, it's just so unreasonable and all this stuff. And that's how, that's how people, that's how people uh, view God. It's like, oh, we're going to have to go and he's going to tell me what to do and, and it's going to be hard. How am I going to please him today and I can't do it? When the reality is when Steve Jobs got home, his kids 
they weren't afraid of him. They would holler, Daddy's home, you know, we're going to eat or whatever, you know what I'm saying? So the relationship that you have to God now through Jesus Christ is not one where he's my taskmaster and he's just going to make me do this and make me live. No, the relationship you have now is one of father-child. He is my father. He's going to love me and care for me and do all for me. And when he does have to discipline me, it's going to be for love's sake to correct me and to do all those things. Everybody see where I'm going? You got me? Any questions? Doesn't that seem good? Okay. All right. So, for you have not received the spirit of bondage again unto fear. The again means like you came out of bondage and were afraid of your master. But you haven't gone back into that again. You have gone into this, you have gone into a family, a, uh, an adoption. He adopted you as his son. And when, I don't know if, uh, I mean, I guess I don't have much experience with it now, but in, in the days that Paul was writing this, if you were like a Roman and you adopted a son, or I guess if you were anybody who adopted a son in Jewish culture too, that son became your son. I mean, it's not like he's a secondary citizen. He's not a second class, like this is my real son. And this is my, you know, if you adopted a son, he became heir to all that you had. He owned all the, all of your estate. You know, he he deserved all the, all the benefits and all the pleasures of what it meant to be your son. And so what God is saying here is we have been adopted into his family. You are no longer, you know, you're not a second class, you know, citizen. You are not, you are, you are what God, when God, the father, okay. Let me slow down. Imagine what it was like when Jesus ascended to heaven. And for the first time after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, the Son walks through the doors of heaven. You know, the angels singing or however you picture it, whatever. And the first time after the crucifixion resurrection that the Father saw the Son, what would he say to him? How would he feel when he saw, you know, the son had accomplished the mission that the father had sent him to do. And, you know, he was he had he was returning victorious over sin and death. He had redeemed the world. And how do you think the father would feel? Yeah, he'd be proud of him. He'd be, you know, how would you feel if your kid did something? You know, yeah. And there would there any would there be any kind of critique like, well, Jesus, I mean, you did pretty good, but you, no, because Jesus never sinned. Never, he only did the will of the Father. There would be nothing but joy, nothing but love and longing and. The same way that he looked at his son is how he looks at the believer through his son. You understand? You've been adopted into this family where you are a son and daughter of God. Therefore, the same way as you picture the son walking back into heaven after he'd done his work and the father, you know, sitting down at the right hand of the father, and you picture what the father must have seen, what he felt like, what he, what he, you know, the emotions that he had, just whatever. That is how he looks at the believer who is in Jesus Christ. Okay? You with me? So when it says you've received a spirit of adoption, that's a huge thing. Because now it's not you are not you are a son and a daughter of God. And he sees you 
as perfect through Christ. Am I, am I, per- I going to be perfect today? No. But in the Father's eyes, through Jesus Christ, I am perfect. I showed the kids in the Bible study at VBS, I was trying to get across the gospel to them, and I stood one of the kids up in every class and I said, you know, they're going to stand before the judge. The God, God is the judge. He's going to judge all your sin. And have you been perfect? And I mean, I get loud with them. I'm kind of, you know, like making it, making, you know, very dramatic. And then I would say... What can this guy do? He's going to be punished. He's going to go to hell. He's going to, there's nothing he can do. And then all of a sudden, right before punishment comes, Jesus steps in front of him and takes the punishment. So when the father looks, the judge looks, he doesn't see the guy behind me anymore. He just sees Jesus. See? Perfection. So when he looks at Jason, when he looks at Dean, when he looks at Ed, he can look, even though I'm not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but he can look down at me and he can say... This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. The same thing he said of Jesus, he could say of me, not because I am, but because Jesus is. Go with me? So this should be, there should be no reason why a person should live their Christian life in fear. But there should also be no reason why a person should live their Christian life thinking that I don't have to do battle. I don't have to go to war. I don't have to, you know, it's not a bed of roses. It's a fight. And you're going to be fighting all the time. And sometimes it's exhausting and you just want to say like, can I take a break from the fight for 10 minutes? And the answer is no. That's usually when we mess up. But we haven't received the spirit of one who's standing over us like a taskmaster. We've received the spirit of one who, who we can call father. Abba does not mean daddy. I hate that. I really do. Have y'all ever heard somebody say that? Mm-hmm. No? Okay, well, good. If you hadn't, don't worry about it. Like, I was a little confused in the, the text you said that, where you were talking about that. I'm glad you bring that up. Well, there's a lot of... First, the word is only used three times in the New Testament. Twice by Paul, once in Galatians, um, once here... And then once by Jesus in the garden. No. Did anybody have that sheet? Yeah, I think it was by Jesus in the garden. But more than likely, this is the word when Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Like he says, you say, our Father. More than likely, this was the word that was used. So to say, Abba, Father, is to... Be in close. It is. It we are in a close relationship with God. Like, for example, let me show you. Uh, in lots of languages, anybody speak Spanish or anything in here? Like a little bit. Is there a word in Spanish like a familiar you and then a formal you? See, a lot of a lot of languages have formal. Like if you if I'm if me and Blake are out hanging out, I'm gonna say, Hey man, you gonna go over here? And, you know, I would use a different word than I would talk to my boss and say, Excuse me. Mr. Whatever, are you going to do this today? There's a formal and informal. This is very informal, this Abba Father. Uh, You know, a Jewish person would never, I mean, they don't even pronounce the name of God. They would never use, never use this term. But Jesus showed us in the the Lord's Prayer and in his own prayer in the garden um, that we are in such a relationship with God that we can call upon him as our Father. You know, as our as our dad, you know. Now, 
What gets me, I, get, I mean, in a sense, I guess you could say it sort of means like daddy or something, where you could just be intimate with God. But I hate the whole Jesus is my homeboy thing. You know what I mean? Like, you, you know, I, and, and it gets into the, it gets into the, um, you know, we think of like kids today going, you know, yo, daddy, what's up? You know, yeah, I just, it, it's just very, very disrespectful. Like 50 years ago, you know, how kids would do with their parents. I mean, that would probably be more, you know, because the f- father was the head of the house and the father, I mean, father still is the head of the house, but <clears throat> the father in Roman days, the father could, you know, it's just a whole big deal. But we have, boy, I got way off right there, received the spirit of adoption and it's by what that we cry, by what that we are able to be in this relationship, whereby, what's the whereby stand for? No. But you, y'all don't be afraid if you don't know the answer. That's how you learn is if you say something. I'm not going to say, man, you're dumb. What kind of answer is that? It's good. We're going to work it out. Just Michael knows the answers to a lot of them, but he won't say it because he don't want to be wrong. See, he told me that. <coughs> okay, let's try again. But you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Because of the spirit of Right, because of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Is that what you said before? I said adoption. Oh, okay. It's by the Spirit that we cry, that we're able to have this relationship with Him. And the Spirit itself should be Himself. Itself and Him, it and Him are the same in the Greek language. It's just translation. Spirit Himself bears witness, beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. How does the Spirit bear witness with our spirit? It's in the text. By the Spirit of adoption. But how does how do we how do we know that the Spirit itself is bearing witness, is testifying to our spirit, is telling us that we are children of God? Huh? Okay. Is it read it from the text from 12, 13, 14, or 15? It's in one of them verses. Huh? Yeah. Because the Spirit leads us to do what? Mortify the deeds of the body. That's how the Spirit itself is bearing witness that we are the children of God. If we are in this fight and we are mortifying the deeds of the body, we are killing the sins of the flesh, and we are doing those things, that's the Spirit inside you doing that. That's not your goodness. That's not your, that's not your wonderful nature that's just killing those deeds of the body and trying to live after God. That's the Holy Spirit inside of you. The Holy Spirit inside of you is the one that leads you to kill the things of the flesh, to kill the things of the body. Okay? The Spirit itself bears witness to our spirit or with our spirit that we are the children of God. If the fight is going on, if the war is taking place, then that's the spirit telling you, hey, you are the child of God. Remember last, uh, maybe it wasn't last week, but the week before we said that the battle is evidence of the victory because if, the, if you weren't victorious over sin already and in Christ and on your way to heaven, there wouldn't be no battle going on. You'd just be, you'd just be rocking right along. Everything would be fine. So this is, he's showing that to us again. The spirit, the spirit, you are indebted to the spirit 
who leads you to kill the deeds of the body. And this is how it bears witness with your spirit that you are. This is how you'll know. You know that you are a child of God. So sometimes, and the reason this is important, the reason this is important because sometimes you get into this battle and you know and it feels like I'm going two steps forward three steps back two steps forward three steps back and I'm you know just I can't seem to get a hold of you know I want to defeat this thing and it seems like the thing keeps coming back and as soon as I feel like I've defeated it you know here it comes again and I gotta fight it again and and after a while you get frustrated and you start thinking this war that's going on in me I'm supposed to have already defeated this thing, I mean, is God left me? Am I not doing what I'm supposed to do? Am I? And sometimes the war that goes on inside of us makes us think, well, something's wrong. But the reality is, if the war is going on, then something's right. See what I mean? You, something's right going on. That's the war is the spirit inside of you, warring against your flesh, and that's what it does with all the children of God. Because for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Okay. So sometimes the war can make us feel like something's wrong, but the reality is that's the spirit testifying that you're His. And if you're His, that war is going to go on inside of you, spirit and flesh, to the day you die. So there, there ain't no, there ain't no stopping it. <clears throat> so what it's saying is, if the Spirit itself bears witness that you are the child of God, if you're children, then what? Then heirs. What does heir mean? Yeah, you, you're, you're going to inherit what God has. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. I love that. Joint heirs with Christ. That means what we talked about earlier. The way that the Father looks at Christ is the way that He looks at me through Christ. What Christ inherited, the glory and all those things, He gives to me because I am in Christ. Okay? And so we are heirs. If we're children, then we have an inheritance that's incorruptible, undefiled, reserved for us in the heavens. That's First Peter. We have a down payment of the Spirit guaranteeing that we are inheriting His glory. We are inheriting His eternal life and that everything is okay. If so be, says you are heirs and joined with Christ, if so be that we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. Now, you need to understand that there's a war going on inside you, but there's also going a war going on in the world. And God didn't call you not to suffer. He called you like people are going to hate you and all those kind of things. And But I hated ending on this note to say like, oh, now we're going to suffer. Because the very next verse says, you know, the suffering that we're going to endure, it's not even to be compared to what's going to, you know. So don't let ending on this verse make you think, oh, now, you know, I know I got to suffer. Because Paul's very next sentence says, the suffering that we're going to go through here, it's nothing compared to what we're, we're going to be, what's going to be revealed in us. Is there any questions? Y'all with me? Did that help anybody? Yeah. And I was going to tell you, since we started this uh, study on Romans, taking this, Brother Eddie has been hit a lot in his sermon, you know, coming back to Romans, a lot of what we talked about in the law options out there from yeah. here. Yeah. Not just there, throughout my whole meeting. 
Mm-hmm. There's been a lot of bits and pieces that all seem to come back, you know, so it's kind of like working on the roots of the foundation. Yeah, yeah. And this one right here, this is why I slowed down. Usually I go, we go a chapter at a time and we kind of we race through it. But I slowed down at chapter 8 because this is so important for your life. And so many people come to me with questions about, you know, just doubts and fears about, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? What about this Christian life? How, how is this, you know, all this stuff going on? 